I was looking down the road uh, to get out and get going, not because I thought the home was bad. I thought the home was great. That was my family. I had my mom, I had my dad somewhere, you know, but uh, like most kids who ended up there, I wasn't a true orphan. I was from a home that wasn't there anymore. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's Outreach and Communications Admin. We are excited you're joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Imagination Learning Center. They nurture children with a positive environment, focus on creativity, education, and self-confidence, and share our faith in God. Find out more at www.imaginationcenter.com. We are grateful to Imagination for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TVHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guest today is Russ Youngblood. He and his wife Violet have been married for many years. Russ served in the military during Vietnam as a combat Marine, and then all over the U.S., Europe, and Israel with the Army Investigative Service. He now is enjoying his grandchildren and a well-deserved retirement. Russ is one of a few who grew up at TBHC when it was an orphanage. He joins us to share his experience, and the life he has lived was made possible by a place many called home. His story sounds like the American dream. He joins the podcast today, hoping you would be inspired to care for children from hard places. You'll find that our podcast was recorded live in Mineola at a coffee shop. I hope you enjoy the atmosphere as we discuss his story today. I got to the home in the sixth grade. Well, start front in the sixth grade. Yeah. And uh, I was there for the sixth grade and, and uh, until I graduated from high school. And I graduated from high school a year early. And I was happy to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking down the road uh, to get out and get going, not because I thought the home was bad. I thought the home was great. That was my family. I had my mom, I had my dad somewhere, you know. But uh, like most kids who ended up there, I wasn't a true orphan. I was from a home that wasn't there anymore. But I was the oldest of my other, in my case, I was the oldest of all my kid brothers and sisters at the time. Still am. Um, But I was young. But I was with my mom and she wasn't really competent. most of the time she was off in some kind of fantasy world. She had um, delusional schizophrenia. And there were other times when, and, and during those times she could be sweet, she could be mean, she, but when she was lucid, she was a pretty, pretty decent person. And I knew she was, what, you know. I remember one time, did I ever tell you the story about the time uh, she was telling me we lived, we were living in Arkansas, Little Rock. Okay, and I just finished the, I guess it was the fourth grade there in the summertime. We lived in this basement um, apartment. It was two rooms with, with a toilet in a, in a closet. And then there, each room, it was on, it faced, it was like a, it had a doorway going out 
to the to the backyard, you know, just a walkway there, and you look down downhill towards the next main street down, about two or three hundred feet, and about fifty feet of that was backyard that was wooded and such set. We had a big old fan and uh, that for the whole house, it was just one of the big industrial stand fans, you know. And so all the, what windows we had, one over the kitchen sink and one uh, and two screen doors. So she was telling me that, hey, my daddy really wasn't my real daddy. My real daddy was somebody named Captain Nations. That the uh, uh, Hope Diamond, I didn't know what the Hope Diamond was, but it was something that belonged, that, that the Queen of England had supposedly really was mine and I was the true uh, uh, heir to the throne of England. Now, that went on, I just listened to it, yeah. and I was probably 10 years old at the time, maybe, maybe, yeah, probably about 10 years old. Anyway, so, that went on and on and on and on, and, and then uh, the next day, young man, a couple of houses down, came up, Ken Russell come out and play, so, I says, yeah, I'll go out and play. I wanted to get out of the house. And, uh, and mom was fairly lucid and I knew the other kids were okay. And she wasn't bad to them or anything like that. So we got down there, we get down that grass on that old meadow down between the backyard and, and the street down below out there. He's, majesty this and highness that. And I says, I'm not a majesty, I'm not a highness. Why are you saying that? I said, you hear what my mama was talking to me about yesterday? No, no, no. Finally, he admitted he did. And I said, and he gave me his ball glove. Here, I want to give you this, your highness. I said, oh. <laughs> so I'm, you know, and I'm real serious about this. Oh, I was yeah. a little more grown up than I probably should have been. Yeah. And I yeah. said, I said, you know, you heard everything my mama said. And I got to tell you something. My mama's crazy. She's like this. She does things like this a lot. I just listen to it, try to be polite. I said, but my mama's crazy, and I am not a highness or a majesty. Said, oh, okay. Can I have my glove back? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's what I dealt with a lot. Sure. And so by the time we, uh, by the time we got uh, to the home, um, I, I did most of the cooking, what little bit there was. Yeah. Uh, you know, you took care of everybody. Well, I tried to, but I also tried to have a little bit of life of my own. I, I couldn't see because I didn't need glasses. I had a little trouble towards my in the fifth grade, and because we, you know, had we're moving, living in this old house, butane uh, gas for in Dearborn heaters and things like that. Actually, it wasn't even Dearborn. It was these old things with a. With, with ceramic uh, plates in front, you know, those little kinds of things. But, and we didn't have much. Mom got $96 a month to feed us on. Um, so, I had trouble in fifth grade. I, and, you know, if we didn't have shoes or clothes that were really good, I liked springtime, they let us take our shoes off to school, things like that. So, when I got to the home, I felt bad about going to the home, and then um, I got there. I remember after a couple of days, a couple of guys came up to me and says, uh, 
Well, you think you're going to run away? I says, no, I don't have any place to go. What's wrong with this? I get to eat three meals a day. I don't have to take care of my brothers and sisters. There's people who can do that now. It's, and I can be a kid again. And they got me glasses. I could see the chalkboard. Yeah. And I found out I, I was really kind of smart. Some catching up to do. Yeah. And I, I got to be learned to, to exercise being social with other kids in school. And, and Waxahachie accepted us. Uh, there was this one other uh, place just out on the skirts of town, Jack something another. I don't know if it's still there or not. Probably not. Presbyterian Home came later. And then we were going to school with Presbyterian Home kids. But we were all part of the community. We played football, basketball, baseball, this, that, the other. And uh, it was good. I got to be a kid. I got to enjoy school. I got to go, we went to church. We went places, and uh, you know, I got to sing in the, in the school choir, church choir, things like that. So that got me there. And then uh, I remember I was a sophomore, midterms, right after midterms, I'm going to class in high school, and one of the girls that worked at the office going up to the office stops. Oh, hey, Russ, did you know you're a junior now? I said, no. I mean, even when I played football one year uh, during my sophomore year, I still took as many courses as I could so I could, you know, build up something. Anyway, she said, yeah, if you took some school this summer, I said, you could probably even graduate next year. I said, duh. I, wrote, I went home, wrote my grandmother a letter, says, please, please give me $20 tuition for summer school. <laughs> I took American history, and I graduated. I graduated, um, uh, had a little rough time with geometry, but uh, I managed. Yeah. But I still made good grades. I was used, if I wasn't an honors student, I was, you know, I think I made one C all, all the time I was in high school. But I went out for the uh, Phillips scholarships. I don't know if you ever heard of that or not. Mr. Phillips was a, a Baylor graduate. He was from Waxahachie, and he's the one who invented the Phillips screw and screwdriver. And he had money, and he put a bunch of money in towards uh, Baylor uh, for Waxahachie High School students. And it only paid tuition fees and books, and it was only for a year at a time. And uh, you had to make real good grades to get it the next time. So, if, you know. I, otherwise, I wouldn't have gone to Baylor. Way too expensive. It was expensive then, even compared to today's prices. But that's Baylor. But it was fun. And I got an ROTC there. And I got out ROTC when, after about most of four semesters, I had to drop out in the middle of my fourth semester. My mom was sick. She was living down in San Antonio and had a kid sister down there. I had to go check on that. And were struggling for some money, you know, and that kind of thing, because Baylor's hard, you know. And uh, I said, well, I'll just drop out for the rest of the semester and come back next semester. Well, Vietnam's going on. Next thing you know, I'm my draft uh, uh, 
Uh, the classification changed, and I said, not going to draft me because I was an ROTC at Baylor. And so I joined Marines. Went to Marines, went to Vietnam, got got married, a uh, couple marriages. And I, I was in the Army, uh, went in the Army because it was uh, ranks faster, I could get a better paycheck, and I wanted to be in the military. And they liked good Marines, so I, made, I got a commission and things like that. Got in CID and was a senior agent. Ran, ran a couple offices and I worked special uh, uh, program procurement fraud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, going back to the home, we had a farm there then. We farmed, we worked, we learned to work, and we expected to make as good a grades as we could. Some tried harder than others, and some didn't have to try so hard, and some never tried so hard with it and didn't really work about it. Yeah. But that's the way kids are. Yep. But uh, I know Mrs. Campster was there. She ran the study hall. Mm-hmm. She was a, an assistant manager. Uh, my, my, uh, they had, of course, the dorms. They had the boys' dorm, younger boys downstairs, the older boys upstairs. The older boys, basically, we ran the barn, yeah. dairy operations, cogs, and, and we got out and we did chop the cotton and this, that, and the other. Can I hear a, a typical day, just kind of what your recollections are? Well, after I got there, um, boys would get a, older boys would get it. Well, we had two teams for the morning. Everybody got down there in the afternoons. So we'd knock it out, get back, get the study hall, and for lunch, for supper. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but in the morning, uh, we have a crew go in, get the cattle up, get the cows milked, and then the other crew would have breakfast. Then go on, and as soon as they finished eating, they get up and leave the table. Otherwise, everybody waited until everybody was dismissed in the, in the, in the dining room. Uh, and then they'd get up and go and come on down. They'd take over the cleanup, and, and if it's going a little bit slow in the milk, and they'd pick, pitch in and whatever. And as soon as we could, uh, whoever who was on crew would, first crew would go on back, and they'd have, have the main table set. And a whole tray of biscuits for us. And we ate. And we ate good. I'm trying to remember the nice lady's name. There's this black lady. I'm trying to remember her name. She was was the cook. And she taught the girls how to cook. She ran that kitchen and did it well. Yeah. Love that lady. Later on, uh, um, between my freshman and sophomore year, I came back and stayed at the home and worked for a local uh, company that had did appliances and plumbing and fence building and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, did, I remember going out to her house one time doing some things. I remember Miss Campster would take us a bit at a time, a group of us at a time, boys, down to uh, get her school clothes and things like that, or Easter clothes and things like that. We'd go in. I remember one time we'd go to Crest a lot. We'd go here there. There was a lot of we had no Walmart, of course. Sure. Didn't even have a Kmart back then. Um, all most of the shops were around the square, uh, except the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were other other places here and there, out and around. Uh, but we did most of our shopping right down there. Um, anyway, we we go to the barn. We get back. Everybody get breakfast. Then we get. 
we have to make sure our rooms are cleaned up, that kind of stuff. And then uh, get ready for school and go to school. Yeah. Weather was good, we walked. Yeah. Weather was nasty, we took the, the whole school bus or in the in the old van or whatever it was that was there to take kids to school in. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so then we get back and go back to older boys go back to the barn, take care of that, get back. Uh, probably in time to eat supper and then go go to study hall. And uh, that kind of thing. Wednesday nights we went to a prayer meeting. Um, Walk down the road to Farley Street. Oh yeah, yeah. And everybody along Farley Street, watch this walk. And uh, if we got out of line, they let us know about it. Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, Donor Engagement Manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parents' training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. <laughs> One time, Sunday dinner, Miss Campster, after, this is Sunday lunch, after, after uh, uh, church, everybody got through eating, and uh, Miss Campster would uh, say, call on somebody, I saw you sleeping in church today. <laughs> Now, after being there a few years, Brother Rainey was a pastor then, and uh, actually, and I went went to Baylor with his daughter. No, his granddaughter. His granddaughter, Cynthia. Okay. Yeah, his son owned the furniture store downtown. Um, young man. Anyway, uh, after a while, Brother Rainey had about. 20 good sermons, maybe 30. And some of them again and again and again. Now, that's nothing wrong with that. I just haven't heard anyone say it like that. That's funny. You know, and all the sermons were good, and I loved yeah. the man. Yes. He was a good man. And, uh, but he, uh, but I knew these sermons by heart. Yeah. So I sit there and I sit up straight, try as I could. Sometimes I couldn't keep my eyes open all the way. And I hear it in the background back then. This campster called me one time, says, Russell, you went to sleep in church. Miss Campster says, you sure I did? I don't think I, I'm not sure I did, Miss Campster. Says, well, then what was Brother Rainey's sermon about? All I needed was the first couple, yeah. you know, 10, five or six minutes of it. 
Well, he preached about this, 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 and later on it's this, 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 this. Okay, never mind. I probably did go to sleep. <laughs> and I'm not the only one, probably, that, probably. yeah. We had a bunch of kids there. Some were rascals. Some were uh, outgoing. Some were introverts. and But they were all good kids. Um, some of them were little snots at times, you know. Anyway, I was an old, when I was an older kid, you put up the little snots, you know, you tell them what for. I never beat up on little kids. But uh, anyway, uh, and, and we were like siblings. I know um, when I graduated, I was proud of graduating, and, and I stayed there at home, with, and, and, and when I graduated, I knew I didn't want to. I had a job at um, Safeway bagging groceries. To this day, I like to bag my own groceries because with plastic bags, you can't do them like you used to. Anyway, but uh, I had a part-time job after school, and then I graduated. Foy Owens was still running the barn, and uh, I get up. I'd go to the barn in the mornings. But I'd, I'd go work my job three or four days a week, um, you know, otherwise. So anyway, uh, <clears throat> right after graduation, uh, I, I wasn't planning on going to the barn that day. And um, Foy Owens sent a message to me to meet him out by the gas tanks. Some old gas tanks from the old garages where we filled our tractors and our trucks and our cars and our bus and everything with. And uh, after after breakfast, so I did. He says, he, says, uh, he told me, he says, and and how your how your uh, um, your, your uh, town clothes on, work clothes but town clothes. Okay, so met him out there. He says, get in the truck, Russell. I got a job for you. Got you a job. Took me out to the highway department, and uh, one of my high school teachers' husband was the chief engineer out there, and the other, his assistant, was uh, Mr. Galloway, and he was one of my classmates' dads, and they had me. Had me he had got me on a job uh, along with another uh, at, on a survey crew. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. The summer, made some money, and uh, you know I had the scholarship, and and I make a little money here and there. But um, the home, I get about three four hundred dollars a semester while I was there from the home. Ted Stanley would bring it out to me. There was a friend of ours at the church that uh, occasionally uh, get to fly, uh, you know, Cessna or something. They flew down from Waco to Waco one day and came out to see me and. And everything, wow. but that was pretty good. Um, my my first wife was um, after I got in the army. My first first thing they did was send me to Korea. So I was there for thirteen months, and when I came back, she was a Jehovah's Witness. And um, I didn't know what to think about that because I'd grown up Baptist, but I also had sworn to. Uphold the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera. And I wasn't going to say she couldn't be a Jehovah's Witness. Was it? It didn't end well. Yeah. 
several years later, you know, um, we, we, we separated and divorced. My mom and dad's divorced. After my mom kicked my dad out, and he hadn't really done anything, I think he just had all the abuse he could stand, and she kicked him out one time too many, and he stayed gone. It broke his heart, but I didn't see him again for till I was ready to graduate. And he showed up with my stepmother and and uh, uh, several stepbrothers and sisters, who I love like crazy. Uh, I don't like a couple of them because <laughs> you know you can love somebody and not like them. It's true. And uh, uh, but the others. I, I, I like a lot. We get along fine. In fact, my brother-in-law here is my sister down in Houston. She, she's the oldest of the girls. She's like 13 years younger than me. and um, But she pretty much runs things down there. Everybody, she's, she's the, the strength down there. And it's rough on her. But anyway, um, so... Let me, let me ask a, yeah. another question, go back, because uh, one time you shared a very uh, very special story to me, and it was how you came into the care of the home. If you don't mind sharing that, uh, what happened in the community and your mom? Mom was getting worse and worse, and she was spending more and more time in these little fantasy things. She hadn't had any, and they didn't have medications worth a foot back then. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I'd gotten older. Uh, I was getting ready for the sixth grade. Uh, school was coming up. My mom says, well, because Carrie didn't had a rough time in school too. He didn't pass the grade that he was in. I think he was in the third grade or something. And she just said, Something about, she thought I ought to stay out of here, let Carrie catch up. But, well, that didn't make any sense. But she didn't make sense at the time. I had family living within walking distance. A long walk, maybe four or five miles. Okay, We lived about four miles from Edgewood and had second cousin and, and uh, great uncle and aunt living right up there. Uh, I had... Uh, probably about three or four miles on down that little old road crossover at 19 uh, around to the one um, aunt and uncle and then around the corner a little bit further up towards Fruitvale, another aunt and uncle. So, you know, the one time, uh, at, this is during the summertime and, and uh, I think mama, I was starting to grow up a little bit and more and and when you have to be an adult, and you, even if you don't know how to be an adult, you have a responsibility for somebody. But Mama, just all of a sudden, she decided, hey, she thought I was getting too big for my britches, and I have no idea why she thought that. Um, it, probably a delusional thing. She took a stick, decided she was going to beat me with it. I said, no, Mama, I'm not going to let you do that. I haven't done anything wrong, and you don't know what you're doing, and I know that, and you don't. So you're not going to beat me with that stick. She had a freaking old size stick. Yeah. 
So she finally put it down, and I went and grabbed a couple things, and I was going to head for my aunt's house. Because, you know, and I knew I couldn't stay in that house much longer that way. It had come, started to come to head. So I'm about halfway there, and here comes my aunt with all her kids in the, in the car. She stops and says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to your house. She says, well, I'm going to your house. Get in. So I got in the front seat. What's going on? I told her. She says, look, just be, be, just, just, just hold in there for a couple more days. And then uh, we're going we're gonna to have your mom uh, taken out to the, to the um, uh, mental health uh, hospital. And uh, that was the one in Terrell. Mm-hmm. And they had the other one down in the West. You know, since then, uh, at my last real job was with the VA. And my job was as they called us, what they call us, we're investigators of sorts okay. uh, in that category. We were fiduciary. We went out, we checked with uh, veterans and, and, and are their beneficiaries who were not competent to handle their own funds. It might have been, uh, you know, orphan children um, and basically mom or whoever taking care of them. They'd get the funds and I'd go check and make sure they're doing, doing all right. Every couple of years... Sometimes it was a veteran himself. And a lot of, uh, if we had fiduciaries for them, they were doing really well. I'd go see them every couple of years. But I spent time going down to both of these hospitals since then. But, so about two or three days later, sheriffs come in, they pull in to the house, they go knock on the door. I just stay back out where I'm outside, I stay outside. And they knock on the door, and they have Mama go in and put her in the car, and they drive off. And then, and this is my grandmother's old house. Now, of course, by this time, she, she'd been a widow two or three times. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, all the relatives pulled in, you know, with, you know after that. And uh, um, they kind of took over, cleaned things up and stuff like that, and they took us out of the house, cleaned up the house, turned things off, and I went with my one uncle and aunt, and a day or two later is when he told me out by the barn, I was out there, he came out there and talked to me, and he broke his heart to tell me this, and uh, that we were going to the home. And, you know, he says, it's a good home, you're going to like there, but we're going to be seeing you every year as often as we can. And he says, it's going to be good for you. We can't take care of all you kids. None of us take care of all you kids together, yeah. etc. Come on in, honey. So anyway, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. We have a, the most unlikely of individuals, uh, a sixth grader, almost sixth grader at mm-hmm. that time, uh, an almost sixth grader, very disadvantaged in the world's point of view, come to a, a place a, as an orphanage, and you're you're not technically under what everyone else says is an orphan. I, I would refer to your situation as a social orphan because there was no one like I don't you know said, how you refer to There was no one able to care for you. There was basically yeah. most everybody at the home was yeah. like that. Yep. Yeah. It was just like it. Broken homes, yeah. that kind of thing. 
Okay. That's, that's the thing that most people don't know is, is why I say that. It's most mm. everyone envisions uh, TBHC's history as, well, moms and dads died, and that's why kids have care. And the truth is, is broken situations. Yes. Yeah. Heartbreaking yeah. situations. Yeah. And, but you know, it, uh, and a few other things. When I left the home, like I told you, my first wife and I, we split when I was Germany. She, she came home with the, with the kids ahead of me. And then she went on to where she was going to go live. We already had a separation agreement, and that was the basis, going to be the basis for our divorce when I got back to the States a little bit later on. But one thing I did do was made up my mind. I'm not going to be like like it was with my with me and my brothers and sisters. My kids weren't going to do without just because I wasn't married to my mother anymore. And so I was kind of getting over that a little bit, getting past that frustration and everything when I met Violet. And I didn't date Violet but a couple times before I went on the road out on this case. Went all around the country. So we were talking on the phone. For a month, we talked on the phone. We got to know each other. Yeah. I don't even know who proposed. We don't know who proposed to who. But when I got back, we got married, and it's been like that for 40 years come next month. But when we were in Korea, I'd, I'd send the girls a little allowance money in a car or something like that when I paid bills. And... Uh, Every now and Violet would come up and send a check to Connie, who was my first wife. Send her an extra check in case they need something. She supported that. Yeah. My girls, you know, hi, Dad, where's Violet? Yeah. You know what I mean? All the grandkids. I said, hey, I know you, like some of my grandkids says, I know you like Violet better than you do me. Oh, Papa Russ, we love you. I know you do. I love you too, but you like her better than me. That's, that's okay. I like her better too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, that's, that's the way it is. She uh, supported, uh, she supports yeah. uh, my support of the home. It's, we support the home. Yeah. It does what it needs to do. The mission's so different now and I know that your hands are tied a little bit more than it used to be because if you have to use state funds, they get in the middle of it. And they were kind of around there to start with before. But hey. What is the most important thing? What is the one thing that you would like everyone to know about growing up at TBHC? TBHC gave all of us a place to live safely, comfortably, and to learn joy. We had food to eat, good clothes to wear. We were uh, part of the entire community of Waxahachie and whatever, or any other place where we went. Um, I mean, you know, I was in the choir, played football. Um, Lou Lovgren was the uh, music director at Walshatch High School at the time. His wife uh, was the uh, was in charge of the uh, um, Kilgore 
rangerettes. No, no, not, not the rangerettes. The ones in, in uh, Corsicana. Yeah, it's a, what's that college there? It's one I'll okay. think of in a minute in, in yeah. Corsicana. Anyway, he wanted me to go out for Allstate Choir. And I just, first, I, I didn't have the confidence and I wasn't sure I wanted to. So I didn't. But the Allstate Choir was run by Dr. Porter from Baylor. So I'm checking in at Baylor, my freshman registration, and I go to, to where I have to sign up for English. Everybody had to take English 101. And I signed up and said, oh, by the way, you've got to go see Dr. Porter at such, 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 such. Dr. Porter? So I went down that, that hallway, wherever it was, and I said, I'm supposed to see Dr. Porter. Who are you? I'm Russ Youngblood. Dr. Porter's there. Yep, sign up right here. You're now a member of the Freshman Acapella Choir. <laughs> and then we got to we got to know about uh, a, a lot of the kids. I had I had been baptized before that, but as a child, we all kind of grew up and learned how to grow up uh, with church, and we all strayed away at times later on and all, but I think most of us did, not all of us, but we got to know what it meant to be uh, part of, uh, of the church and church membership and what that meant and what the people there meant to us and what we meant to them. Yep. We found out that we could be, in, we were important. Yep. I remember one time my grandmother came and got me at that old place where she used to live before we came to the home, it took me out to get some jeans. I needed some new jeans for school. I outgrown what I had. I didn't have these shoes. It took me down to Fruitvale, a little country store there, and I got some jeans. And with coming back, I said, you know, Grandma, someday I'm gonna be somebody. I got the home, I learned out that, learned that I, I really was. Yeah. And then um, a lot of values, learned a lot of values stuff, how to work, how to, how to take on, um, to appreciate work and and uh, to uh, appreciate a job well done or a job done well enough, no matter how hard it was, we got it done. We do that still today. <laughs> but you didn't leave there lazy. We might have been one or two. There were a couple guys that we had kind of, older boys had to push around a little bit, kick them in the butt a little bit and get them going. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, I don't know how much the story it was, but I don't think it was any better than anybody else's. I know that everybody goes a different way, but everybody that appreciated what the home did, not everybody did. They felt sorry for themselves, but most everybody did. We are, uh, I'm just, I'm very blessed by everything you shared, and I, I just want you to know that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.